You're listening to a sermon from Plus Life, a church that exists to see lives changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our prayer is that you will be stirred in your heart and renewed in your mind as you hear the preaching of God's word today. Again, dear church, I'm so glad to be here um, after such a long time. And Pastor Yin is right when he says, I am no stranger and you are no stranger to me too. I really thank God for our partnership in the gospel. And ever since Angela one time mistook me to be his brother, Ian, I've always taken Ian, I've always thought of Ian as my twin from another mother, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so this is the lesser twin here today speaking on his uh, bringing the word of God to you. Now, before I begin, I want to tell you that if you ever wanted to know what is God's design for church, you ought to spend time studying the book of Timothy, the first Timothy, Paul's letter to first Timothy. In fact, Paul wrote this letter under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit with the aim of instructing believers to live out orderly and godly lives as people of the truth and as the household of God. And you will find the purpose uh, behind the letter in First Timothy chapter 3, verse 14 to 15. That's where he writes out, why did he write this letter? So he wrote this letter so that the church will be built up in godliness and order. And throughout this letter, Paul had provided specific instruction for specific groups, for leaders and members, for men and women, for young and old, for those in need and without a family, and for those with family and in, in, in need. And in our passage today, Paul is concluding his letter. And so as he ends, he ends by providing some final instruction for the rich and for Timothy, for those who possess the riches of this world and for those who possess the riches of God's word. And what do these two groups have in common? They both have to learn to be faithful with what God has blessed and entrusted to them. But this morning, we shall be focusing only on Paul's instruction to the rich and seek to answer this question. How can you glorify God with the earthly riches you possess? How can you glorify God with the earthly riches you possess? Now, earlier in this chapter, the Apostle Paul had warned that those who desire to be rich, especially driven by the love of money, would fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. That is in chapter 6, verse 6 to 7. Now, according to Paul, the best way to safeguard your heart from covetousness is to find contentment in the person and provision of Jesus. And having instructed those who desire to be rich, Paul now instructs those who are rich, those who are rich in this present age, that is, those that are financially blessed in this lifetime, in this age, before the return of Jesus. Now, I don't know if you've ever experienced this. Sometimes when I'm waiting for, to board a flight in the airport and I hear an announcement that is addressed to platinum card holders or to first-class passengers, and guess what I do? I immediately tune out because I know I'm in need of those. Likewise, when you hear these words, as for the rich in the present day, some of you are already tempted. This sermon is not for me, right? Or possibly tempted to do what I did. But before you check out, let me tell you that if you're a Christian living in North America, these words apply to you. Why? because you have more than the basic necessities of life. In fact, according to some statistics, uh, according to statistics, Canadians are among the top 10 wealthiest people in the world. And in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 8, Paul shared, 
But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. If we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. So compared to the majority of Christians around the world, you have more than food and clothing, such that you have sufficient resources to apply these commandments without any imminent threat of hunger or lack. And so here are three ways you can glorify God with the riches you own in this world. First, resist the temptations that comes from being rich. Resist the temptation that comes from being rich. Second, relish the gifts, but rest in the gift, God, uh, gift giver. Relish the gifts, but rest in the gift giver. Third, reinvest your riches spiritually for eternal benefits. Reinvest your riches spiritually for eternal benefits. So the first way you can glorify God with your wealth is to resist the temptation that comes from being rich. What are these temptations? Look here. Paul provides two examples for us here. The first temptation you're susceptible to when you're rich is pride. Paul instructed Timothy to charge the rich not to be haughty, not to be arrogant. And I'm sure that I do not need to labor to give you examples of how this arrogance or pride from wealth and, and possession is manifested. You, you are bombarded with it every day on social media and on reality TV shows since society has made it a norm to reward and follow those who show off their prosperity than to imitate those with humility. Nonetheless, I do want to point out one great spiritual danger to the well-being of the church and the witness of the gospel when the sin of pride is left unchecked. And this danger is a danger of segregation. In Romans chapter 12, verse 16, Paul said, Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. So those who are rich, when they're intoxicated by a sense of superiority and power, can tend to dissociate themselves from those whom they consider inferior or from those who cannot match to their standard of living. And I know that even the poor people can do that, and ultimately this is a problem of sin. Sin in its very essence divides. Sin separates us from God and separates us from one another. And so you will find traces of brokenness in every relationship on earth, even the closest one with the root source being the problem of sin. And yet for those who are in Christ Jesus, for those of us who have been reconciled to God and made one with Christ, grafted into the body of Christ, there should be no division at all. No division between rich and poor. And sadly, among many churches in North America, this is one of the most obvious segregation, especially during holidays and Christmas celebrations, where many celebrate only with those of the same social sta status while excluding the others. But, but isn't it permissible for me to invite those who, uh, whoever I want to my to my celebrations, to my house. Of course, it is permissible for you to invite whoever you want to your events, but it is not beneficial to the unity of the church and the witness of the gospel when you exclude other brothers and sisters in Christ because they are different from you, because somehow they don't live up to your standard, because somehow they don't dress like you, because somehow you're just turned off by the way they look or the way they smell. And it becomes especially sinful when you intentionally refuse to associate with someone because of your pride, because of your sense of superiority. The other temptation that comes from being rich is to find your assurance in life in what you possess, in what you possess. 
Now look at your Bible. Timothy was also instructed to charge the rich not to set their hope on the uncertainty of riches. What does it mean to put your hope on riches? It means to derive your sense of security, your peace, your comfort, your joy on what you own and what you make. It is to root your identity, your value in what you have. It is to find your meaning and your purpose in life, in your career, and and making money. And ultimately, whether knowingly or unknowingly, it is to make the riches of this world the object of your worship, your God. Such is the spiritual folly and danger that comes from trusting your riches that the wise man, Agar, in godly fear, prayed that he would rather not have riches than to not have God. In Proverbs chapter 30, verse 7 to 9, listen to this prayer that Agar prayed. He said, two things I ask of you. Deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. To set your hope on the riches of this world is to deny God and to exert the self as the highest autonomy and to arrogantly ask, Who is the Lord? Who is God? And so you can see how your pride is nourished by what you put your hope on. If the riches of this world is what you put your hope on, if what you own is where you derive your sense of identity and value, it is no wonder then the more your prosperity, the more obnoxious your personality. Your pride is directly proportional to your financial success. The more you do well, the more your ego swells. But here's the thing, if your identity, if your value is rooted in your riches, in how much you make, in what you own, who will you be when you lose everything? Men and women have gone to bed peacefully and woken up only to find that they are bereft of everything because of war because of natural disasters, because of scams, because of robbery, because of inflation, recessions, and so on. If your hope and joy and peace and sense of security is set on the uncertainty of riches, it will rise and fall with the stock market. It will be as turbulent as the economy. And all it takes is a random tweet from the President of the United States or a CEO for for your shares to fluctuate and for you to lose your sleep that night. And that is no way to live your life, especially for a Christian. And thus, Paul provides for us, provides for you a better alternative. He calls you to set your hope on God. He calls you to rest in God. Which brings us to the second way we are to glorify God with our riches. Relish the gifts, but rest in the gift giver. Look at verse 17 again. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Observe here, Paul is not against riches. 
Money in and of itself is neither good nor bad. Riches in and of itself is not the problem. The problem arises when you have a distorted view and relationship with money and possession. The problem arises when you commit spiritual adultery with money and possessions. And so that raises the question, what kind of attitude should you have towards the riches you possess in this world? Let me give you some points. First, remember it is God who richly provided us with everything. It is God who richly provided us with everything. If you remember that God is the ultimate provider of every good and perfect gift, just as Pastor Ian prayed earlier, if you remember that everything you have, you received it by the grace of God, it will go a long way in keeping you humble. It will protect you from unnecessary anxieties and disappointments. As the Apostle Paul also wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, for who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? Listen to that. What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Second, remember it is God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Okay? God richly provided us with everything to enjoy. God bless you with gifts for your enjoyment. This is not the enjoyment of a sinful self-indulgence that is condemned in the scriptures, but an enjoyment that comes from a thankful heart to God and setting the gifts apart as holy by the word of God in prayer. That means using the gifts of God as the way God intended it to be used, not abusing it. Our God is not a stoic God. Our God is not an, uh, an idol of wood or, or clay or gold that feels nothing. Our God is a living and blessed God. Our God is a happy God. Our God is a God of endless joy and blessing that He created the world for our enjoyment. Think about it. He gave us ears to enjoy the pleasure of sound and music. Did you enjoy the singing? Did you enjoy the music? He gave us tongues that can distinguish various tastes to enjoy the pleasures of food. Oh, I love it. I love food from Japanese food to Jamaican food. All of it. You can enjoy the taste. He gave us eyes to behold the beauty of his creation. In fact, wedding is a wonderful time. It engages all your senses, does it not? You, you enjoy the music. You enjoy the beauty of it. Likewise, whatever you possess, God richly provided it for your enjoyment. They are gifts of God for you, but they are not meant to be God to you. Let me say that again. They are gifts of God for you, but they are not meant to become God to you. And so here is the third and most important thing to remember. Remember the gifts you possess are meant to point you to the gift giver. Remember, the gifts you possess are meant to point you to the gift giver. They are meant for your enjoyment. They're not meant to be your source of joy. Why? Because ultimately, only God can do that. Only God can be your unfading joy and hope because only He is certain. And so, do enjoy the benefits of God, but establish your hope in Him alone. Relish the gifts, but rest in the gift giver. The riches of this world will fade away, but God remains the same yesterday, today, and forever. You see, over time, even without anyone robbing you, even without anyone having access to your account, the money that you think that is being safely stored in your bank account will shrink. 
and will no longer hold its original value, but not the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven will forever remain to be a pearl of great value. And those who are wise, according to Jesus, those who are wise will sell everything to buy it. Do you have that? Do you have Jesus Christ as your great pearl? And so if you really want to ensure that your investment is protected, that your dollar never loses its value, then reinvest your riches spiritually. And so the third way for you to honor God with your riches in this world is to reinvest your riches spiritually for eternal benefits. Look at verse 18 and 19. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Paul gives us here three spiritual investment advice for the best eternal gain. First, invest from a pure heart. Invest from a pure heart. Paul commanded Christians, uh, believers, to do good, which means that you must not only engage in every good work, but you must also do it out of a good motive. Indeed, there are many rich people in this world, right? Believers and unbelievers who have, uh, were notable for having done good works, like Bill Gates. But how many of them actually did it out of a pure heart and a good motive? For any work to truly be considered good and pleasing to the Lord, it must be done according to the ways of God not according to our ways. It must be done from a pure heart, not from a mixed motive. It must be done for the glory of God and not for PR purposes, not for likes, not for more followers, nor for the praises of man. In fact, Jesus warned, right? Jesus warned in Matthew chapter 6, verse 1 to 4. This is what he said. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be what? In order to be seen by them. That means you're doing it for publicity. But then you will have no reward for your Father who is, is in heaven. From, you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. So you must seek to do good genuinely, purely, not superficially, not hypocritically. Second, invest abundantly in good works. Paul wants believers to be rich in good works. Apart from being hearty or setting your hope on riches, when you are rich, you might also become tempted to become self-indulgent and complacent, indifferent to the works of God. Right? So you just like, I've stored up some, I've, I've, I have a lot, I need to go for vacation, and you're just going for vacation and vacation, and that's why you never have time for fellowship, you never have time to pray, you never have time to come together as a church. Or you might be tempted to keep pursuing after more wealth, never satisfied with what you have, and that's why you're always working time, because you just can't, you just can't wait for the next race, the next race, the next promotion. So you're enslaved to your work, and you don't have time for the things of God. But that is not how a Christian should live or use their wealth. In fact, Jesus used the parable of a rich man to warn us against such folly. In Luke chapter 12, verse 16 to 21, Jesus shared this parable. He says this. Listen to this story if you don't know. The land of a rich man produced plentifully. So this is a man who's already rich, and God has blessed him. He has produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have no way to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. There I will store all my grains and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods later for many years. Relax, 
eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Instead of using your riches to engage in the selfish and sinful lifestyle, Christians should be rich toward God. To be rich toward God is to be rich in good works. God bless you with riches, not for sending, but for serving. God enriches you materially so that you can abound spiritually in good works. In simple, you have been given more and not less so that you can bless. You are blessed to be a blessing. Third, invest in generosity and sacrificial love. So, In the spiritual stock market of God's economy, to generous spiritual riches, dump your greed and acquire generosity. Buy generosity. Buy the share, the readiness to share. With these picks, your investment portfolio will outperform all others in sacrificial love and spiritual gains. Paul's instruction, brothers and sisters, is as explicit as it can be. You don't need to be an expert in the Greek language or biblical exegesis to understand what is expected of Christians. Be generous. Be liberal in your giving. Do not be stingy. Do not give with strings attached. Give lavishly. Give freely. Be ready to share. Don't wait for someone to beg from you to give. Don't wait for someone to humiliate themselves in front of you to give. Identify, seize every opportunity to bless and to share. Look out for your brothers and sisters. Don't just say, I will pray for you. See how you can bless them. Brothers and sisters, as the years passes by, and as you witness and experience the provision, the kindness, the generosity of God, time and again in your life, do you find yourself increasing in generosity in your giving? Do you find yourself growing in your willingness to share with those in need? If not, why not? I sincerely hope you will wrestle with these questions to understand the true condition of your heart. Do not think that when you have more, then you will increase in your giving. Do not think that only when I have promotion, then I'll increase in my giving. Do not think only if I have a better job, then I will increase in my giving. Because if you are not faithful in little, you are most likely not going to be faithful with much. And that's what Jesus said. Jesus also shared in Luke chapter 16, verse 10 to 13, he says this, one who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous well, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Members of Plus Life Church, I encourage you to strive to increase in your generosity and in your willingness to share. One of the main reasons why many Christians do not grow in the giving is because the more they earn, the more they spend. Decrease your spending and you will increase in your giving. Cancel the gym membership that you keep paying but do not go to exercise, and you will be able to support a gospel missionary to exercise his calling. For those of you who like numbers, practically, strive to give at least one person more of your income year by year. Strive to increase in your giving till you are at least truly offering to the Lord your sacrifice and not your spare change. 
Strive to increase in your giving where your giving is fueled by a faith in God that comforts rather than giving out of, or out of your comfort that is faithless. I want to say that again. Strive to increase in your giving where your giving is fueled by a faith in God that comforts rather than giving out of your comfort that is faithless. Right? So often we give out of sight. We do not, we do not walk by faith, but we walk by sight. In this way, you will slowly learn to wean your hope from the uncertainty of riches and set it on God who is ever steadfast and rich in love towards you. You see, a sacrificial, generous, faithful, God-glorifying giving that reflects a love for Christ and the gospel more than money doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't. It is a habit. It is a habit that must be built up with great intentionality. But please, and this is important, please, please do not be ever deceived by your pride and think that God expects generosity and sacrificial giving because God is needy or God can't function without your contribution. No, 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 no. Not at all. God does not need you at all. Believers are called to give sacrificially, not because God has needs, but because God, Christians have been first given by God infinitely more than we can ever imagine through the sacrifice of Christ. In fact, Paul's appeal to Christians here is based on the good news of Jesus Christ. The bad news is that because of your sin and rebellion against God, you were morally bankrupt. And you owed a debt that no one can pay, that you could never ever pay with an infinite lifetime. But the good news is that Christ, who is infinitely rich, became poor for your sake. He paid for your sins and the death of his innocent, and by the death of his innocent and perfect life on the cross, and he made you rich. He transferred all his righteousness to you, such that you're not only rich in righteousness, but do you know that you have been made co-heirs with Christ? According to God, you are royalty. You have been adopted into the royal family of God. You have received the spirit of adoption that you call the King of kings, the Lord of heaven and earth, Abba, Father. What a great privilege. And so based on these two glorious realities of the gospel, your debt has been paid in full and that you have become a child of God, you should also bear the resemblance, the likeness of your heavenly Father. You should bear the image of your heavenly Father. And so just as God is intrinsically good, you should do good. Just as God richly blessed you through the good works of Christ, you are to be rich in good works. And just as God is generous and ever ready to share with you, even to the point of giving up his only beloved son so that you can inherit the kingdom, you are to be generous and thus ready to share so that others, others who do not know Jesus can also be welcomed into the kingdom of God. So you see, brothers and sisters, God doesn't owe you anything when you give to God. You owe God everything. You can never outgive God when God has what God has given us through Christ Jesus. Even if we gave up our lives and everything we possess for the cause of Christ, do you know that we are still unprofitable servants? Let alone demand any return from Him. And yet, look at God's gracious mercy to us here. That when you do all these things according to Paul, when you strive to do good, when you strive to be rich in good works, when you strive to be generous and ready to share, you are not only replicating and reflecting the goodness and the generosity of God for others to be drawn to God, but you will also reap in greater measure eternally. Right? Speaking of rep, uh, replic, uh, replicating and reflecting the goodness and generosity of God, 
for others to be drawn to God. Isn't that part of your mission statement plus life? Isn't that part of your mission statement to reflect the love of Christ? But Paul is saying when you do all these things, you're not only reflecting, you're not only imitating God in these actions and behavior, but you will also be blessed. He says you are thus storing up treasure for yourself as a good foundation for the future so that you may take hold of that which is truly life. So often when we are called to give sacrificially or in the moment we hear that we are called to give generously, we often associate giving with a sense of loss, with a sense of loss. But according to Paul, there's a divine paradox at work here. When you give sacrificially to the cause of the gospel, when you give generously to the mission of the gospel, such that whatever you keep, you lose. But whatever you give, you do not lose. Whatever you give generously are being invested eternally and stored securely in heaven. This is the best e-transfer, right? This is not electronic transfer, this is eternal transfer you can do. If you don't believe in what I'm saying, will you only believe in the words of Jesus? Again, listen to Jesus here. Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 to 21, he says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. But I especially love how Jesus revealed this same heavenly promise with such tenderness in Luke's account. And so please bear with me again and listen to what Jesus said to his disciples in Luke chapter 12, verse 32 to 34. Luke chapter 12, verse 32. He said, Fear not, little flock. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourself with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no mart destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Did you notice how Jesus gave his promise of the kingdom and heavenly treasures by beginning with these words of comfort? Fear not. Why did Jesus tell his disciples, fear not? Because he knows how weak we are. He knows how easy it is for you and I to fear when we, when we are called to part with our riches and our belongings. And he calls us his little flock. Why? To remind us that he is the good shepherd and those who follow him shall have no lack. We are his flock and he is our shepherd. It is his responsibility to provide and care for us. It is our responsibility to trust and follow him. Jesus is not only our shepherd, but he's also to be our greatest treasure. As our, as our shepherd, our hearts must follow Jesus alone. As our treasure, Jesus should be the supreme delight of our hearts. And so do not cling on to the uncertainty of riches, but glorify God by putting all your hopes on Christ. Invest in him completely. Show the world that you have taken hold of that which is truly life, a blessed life of infinite hope and joy and riches in Jesus Christ that can never be lost or stolen by living a life that is rich in good works and radical in generosity. Brothers and sisters, let us not live as the world, being anxious about tomorrow. Let us not be, live like the world, being anxious about tomorrow and loving the riches of this world. This world is not our home. Isn't that right? Our sister prayed for that. 
Let it be true in our lives. Let it be true in your life. Look at our, our society now. Look at how they fear. Look at how they tremble. All they're doing is checking up the inflation, checking the bank account, checking the gas prices, checking whether the house prices have increased or dropped. Let us not be obsessed with these things. Let us be obsessed with God and Jesus and the gospel because there's a lot to be done here. Use whatever God has given you to bless. Truly, my brothers and sisters, do not fear. Whatever you do in the name of the Lord, you will reap in greater abundance in heaven. Remember the famous words of Jim Elliot, right? Jim Elliot, who gave his life to bring the good news of Jesus to a dangerous tribe in Ecuador. He said this, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Brothers and sisters, let me ask you, what kind of traveling bag will you be taking with you when you die? How much do you think you can pack in? Nothing. Invest wisely. Invest for eternity. Let us pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you, first and foremost, reminded, Lord, how we were bankrupt, we were poor, we were depraved, Father. And yet, while we were dead in our trespasses, you sent your only Son, Jesus Christ, to make us live in him. And that not only have you paid for the penalty for all of our sins, oh, Lord, you have accounted your righteousness, the righteousness of Christ to us, oh, Lord, so that in him we stand, in him we live and move and have our being. In him we are pure and holy and blameless and perfect. In him we are loved. God, as I'm reminded of this song too, as we sang earlier this morning, you are a good father. And we are loved. We are loved. We are loved not because I'm a good son or I'm a good daughter, but because of your perfect son, Jesus Christ. And in him, Lord, you look at us and you see your son and we are loved. And so we praise you, Father, for your goodness. And we ask that God that the gospel would truly seize our heart, O oh Lord, and transform us, that we would stop playing games with our faith and stop faking in our faith, O oh Lord, that we truly live out the gospel of Jesus Christ, especially with our attitude, the way we handle our possessions, whether we have little or plenty, O oh Lord. And so, Lord, we are praying that you would raise up more godly laborers in Canada, in North America, in and all over the world, oh Lord, we know that God, you are sovereign over our salvation, but you are also sovereign over the means to the end. And so Father, bless us, bless our church, bless Plus Life, bless the leaders and the, and the members here with wisdom and discernment on how to use the resources that you have given to them faithfully, Lord, how to be a faithful steward so that when they stand before your presence, they will hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. Lord, that they would, they would not be like the wicked servant who, who hid their resources, Lord, afraid of what you will do. But instead, Lord, help them to have the fear, uh, have a godly fear, Lord, not a worldly fear, a godly fear, Lord. May your perfect love cast out all fear in them. Thank you, God, again, for your word that sanctifies us. Thank you, God, for your word that leads us on the path of righteousness. We pray that, God, we will not only be hearers of God's word, but doers of God's word. May we pray that we would delight in your word. Oh Lord, we need a revival. We want to see men and women change their lives. 
We want to see God, people turning to Jesus. And so use us, Lord. May plus life be your hands and feet here. In Jesus' name we pray. Thanks for listening. We hope that you were blessed by the sermon today. If you would like to learn about the gospel or know more about our church, please visit pluslifepeople.com. Remember to subscribe for more content. Until next time, stay blessed.